eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack, all on the show today. First and foremost, hopefully you guys are all doing well across the country as the country was hit with ice storms here in Oregon. We were all impacted, all three of us. Uh, we're all back. We're all fine. Hopefully you guys and your family are doing well as well. Um, it's been a while since we've been able to do a podcast because of said ice storm. Um a lot has happened. Uh, we were going to talk about a couple things, and then we weren't able to record. And then some transfers happened, uh, and then some more transfers happened. So we're going to dive into uh, a busy off season for Oregon football. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised that it's been that way. Uh, it was last season. They've at Oregon's at ten total transfers right now from a portal perspective. Um, and the last time we've kind of talked heavy transfer talk they've added duke cornerback brandon johnson they've added houston defensive lineman jamari caldwell uh texas a&m receiver evan stewart uh and utsa cornerback cam alexander have all been added to the fold um let's start maybe with cam alexander a four-star transfer utsa guy it's going to be a one-year addition to Oregon uh, and comes at a position where there's probably a path to him playing right away. Well, I was just going to say broadly, I think all four names you mentioned are most likely starters almost immediately. Um, I, I still, and we'll talk about it as we get into it, I'm curious about Brandon Johnson and Ty Sheem and kind of their fit together and how they work. And I'm sure Jared has some thoughts on how he's posted some of them already, but um you look at the roster and these are positions of need. Oregon needed to find more cornerbacks. I know they have some talented young players on the roster. Alexander adds up. Obviously, Stewart, that's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, that's 
that's a big time ad for Oregon and a guy who could come in here and, and maybe produce close to a thousand yard season if he's if he's healthy for the whole season. I mean, you, this last year at AM, he, he wasn't healthy for the entirety of the season. Um, and then Jamari Caldwell, I guess I'm running through them all here. I know we we're starting with Alexander, but um, I just think this is a great group of guys they've added, and all of which are going to be impact players right away. Right away. But, um, you know, Alexander is kind of an interesting one, I think, uh, size-wise, a little different from what Oregon has been, you know, kind of targeting in the portal or, or even in the prep ranks from a court cornerback position. Obviously, they do have some smaller corners on the roster, but this is not your Christian Gonzalez or Kyrie Jackson, 6'2", 6'3", a lot of length guy. Um you know, but he's been extremely productive at UTSA. This is a player who's kind of a self-made guy in terms of like this was not a big-time recruit out of high school at all. I, I don't even know if he, like how many offers he had from other um, schools that were Division One programs coming out of high school, and yet here he is going to finish his his career off at Oregon and and was really productive the last couple of years at UTSA. So um, I know Jared, and you're too deep. You had him there, but I, I think. I think he's going to have to battle a little bit just because Oregon does have some some talented guys and you still have Dante Manning and Nico Reed and Julio Florence coming back. So I don't know, like, do you, do you think it's a lock he starts, Jared, or are you kind of thinking he's going to have to battle there? Because I think I think they're going to have four or five players kind of in that competition for those two spots going into the season. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be a battle at every position. You know, there's no guarantees in the football field. And I know that's very coach speak of me, but it's really true. I mean, anybody anybody could beat anybody as long as they're better than them. Uh, for Alexander, I put him as a starter because he has been. He's been a three-year starter. There's nobody else on the team that is that. Uh, just a little Florence, and he's only been a one-year starter. Um, Manning is obviously still on the team. Uh, there's a lot of young, up-and-coming guys. There's obviously the highly rated four stars that are coming in this year. But again, this goes back to me and my... Uh, talking about the defensive line, like Oregon's not going to sit here and rely on hopefully uh, freshmen panning out or redshirt freshmen who have played four games in their college career panning out and putting them into a starting role. And that's what Cam Alexander is. Um, I think he's a good corner. I think he's a solid lockdown coverage corner. I know he's, like you mentioned, Eric, he's not the six foot one, six foot two long wingspan that they've normally kind of brought in the last two, three years under Dan Lanning, but he's got long arms. He can cover well. Um, he's quick, he's twitchy. I think he'll be more of a field corner than a boundary corner. I think Jaleel Florence is the boundary corner as of now going into next season, but I think that's still really good. I think you look at this as you have Jaleel Florence, who's done very well the last two seasons in terms of his development underneath, you know, coach Demetrius Martin, Demetrius Martin, which we'll get to later under Dan in this defense, understanding the system. So you have to anticipate that he'll continue to grow as long as he stays healthy. Um, and he grew over the past season when he was healthy. And then you still have Dante Manning. You still have Roderick Pleasant and Dalen Austin and Solomon Davis and Colin. Well, Colin Gill is a safety. But you have Dakota Fields. You have Ifi Obadegwu. You have uh, other guys who are coming in that are going to be talented. But Lalea. I think Alexander, yeah, Lalea, he's on my two deep. Um, I think as a guy who's a three-year starter at UTSA, who's playing you know, 600 snaps at cornerback every season, I think it's that's why I had him in my starting unit. He'll definitely compete, and maybe Oregon adds another corner, but we'll see eventually. But that's why I think he starts is that he's just multi-year starter UTSA. I know it's kind of almost lazy to just throw him in there, but considering who else Oregon has, it's I think it's a no-brainer compared to the rest of them. And again, it'll be a competition in spring and fall, but as of today, way too early, I would put him in as a starter. 
I, I think a lot of these guys, whether they start or if they don't, it's going to be a lot like what we saw with Popo and Taki this past season, where they're basically co-starters. Whether So whether Cam gets a job like Jerry projects, or if, if maybe a Dante Manning or a Jaleel Florence or someone that's on the roster previously uh, fends him off, he's going to play, and he's going to play a lot. And I go back to when you look at this transfer list, all 10 guys and the four that we're going to talk about, especially uh, you go back to the interview that Dan Lanning gave with Pat McAfee when he was asked about why did you bring in these two portal quarterbacks and just your, your process of, of portal additions in general. And he said that you know, he tells recruits like, Hey, our job is to get the best players here. And then once you get here, our job is to find someone better than you. And it's up to you to, to, to elevate your game. And that's what they're doing. They're finding guys that they feel like are as good, if not better than what they have currently on the roster. Um, Evan Stewart, let's transition. Let's, let's save Evan last. Cause he's offense. He's the lone offensive player. Let's, let's go to Brandon Johnson. The most recent addition Duke transfer uh, played primarily at nickel. Um, Another guy that's got multiple years of starting experience, played at the Power 5 level. He's going to come in, and he's got one year of eligibility, just just like Cam Alexander, and just like him, I, I think he's in a position to, to play right away. Obviously, uh, Jared's 2D came out before this happened. Does this impact anything, Jared, with that, in your opinion? Yeah. Oh, certainly. Um in my two deep, I had Taishim Johnson playing boundary safety because uh, Oregon doesn't have any safeties. Like it's right. it's a very it's an underlying story of this defense over the offseason is um, obviously they get Kobe Savage to play either boundary or free safety, which is fine. But you're losing your boundary and your free safety from a season ago and Steve Stevens and Brian Addison for the first half of the year and then Evan Williams and, you know, Taishim Johnson doesn't really have that much playing time in his career in his uh at Ole Miss or at Oregon at boundary but I just didn't know who else to put there unless Oregon loves Aaron Flowers a true freshman coming in but it goes to my point earlier about relying on true freshmen to actually perform at the power five level it's a tough task um and I had Nico Reed originally starting at star in that nickel spot um because that's where he had played in pre he played last year at Oregon at star points mostly played outside corner by like 100 or 90 more snaps. But this Brandon Johnson edition, he's just a pure nickel. That's what he does. He doesn't do anything else. And he has like 37 snaps outside corner, but that's more of just a PFF malfunction and just like, a like yeah, he's out there, but that's not what he's playing. He's a nickel back. It's all like, day a, Jared, it's like a formation they're in that maybe looks like Correct. he's playing outside corner right. that is, yeah. Yeah, and again, it, they're listed as cornerbacks, Brandon Johnson and Tysheem Johnson. But we all know that these are star safeties, and that's what I anticipate Brandon Johnson to play. That's what he plays. I don't. He has just a handful of snaps again at outside corner, which is a formation thing, and a handful of snaps at free or deep safety, which could just be a, a formation thing as well. But I, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of their boundary and free safeties now. Obviously, Kobe Savage is going to play one of those spots, but. It's going to be between Brandon Johnson and Tysheem Johnson in terms of who is going to be the star safety next season. And I think that'll be figured out in spring and fall camp. But uh, originally I had Tysheem as the, as the boundary safety next year. 
Um, I like him close to the ball, like he's been playing at star, but I think he still has the skill set that can you can get away with him playing at boundary. He's a hard hitter. He plays downhill. He's got decent coverage skills, a um, little undersized, which is another storyline about Oregon safeties. But as of now, this is all just going to be like, uh, like practice and scrimmages are going to figure this out. Because right I, I now it's have, purely a guessing game. I do have maybe a wild card for the, the safety spot. And it can maybe open up paths for other players to play a corner. What if you move Dante Manning? to safety because he's by far Oregon's most physical corner. He's, he's not big. Like that's, that's gonna That's not going to be solved, but what you brought up, but it definitely improves the cover aspect that you lack at that position. Can I, yeah, can I but... toss a couple names out here that I also think makes sense Go that can move positionally. Yeah. I think Dalen Austin is somebody who I, towards the end of the year, I think was kind of cross training a little bit and he does have mm -hmm. a little bit more size. I think he's at least bulkier maybe. Um, so that would be somebody Kamari. <laughs> well, I had him in my 2D, but I have as a backup star. Yeah, right. Like I'm just throwing out names here that don't, we don't really know exactly how they fit into all of this. And that's, what's the interesting thing about this puzzle is there are a bunch of these names where we're trying to figure out like Sione Lalea, he's got the size. Maybe he ultimately winds up being one of these, safeties but that is the point jared when i was doing kind of the similar exercise obviously i didn't um, post it but just kind of looking through it going like seems like they have like a bunch of nickels bunch of guys who play a lot of nickel or slot corner they have a bunch of guys mm -hmm. who are outside corners and then they don't really have anybody at safety because i was looking through it and you can correct me if i'm wrong on this jared um because i did have a concussion recently so my memory might be wrong i think i think of the returning players who are like exclusively safety i think like tyler turner tyler turner i think had like more snaps than any other returning safety once you take off the guys who've left and cole martin those Correct. guys off the board so you know there yeah. really isn't any returners at this position which is why we're having this kind of extended conversation about what the fit looks like you yeah, know it's a legitimate problem that i don't think a lot of people not a problem there are real problems in the world like not having power or internet or things like that but as far as oregon football goes um it's a problem on paper and yep. they're going to have to work their way out. Um, for Dante Manning, I could see the move, but he's a nickel. Like they all cross, all the cornerbacks cross trained a nickel this past season. And I would anticipate they do something similar this year. For Dale and Austin, I, I, he would definitely provide the size, but I'd want him as a cornerback. If he can play cornerback, I'm going to take the six foot two cornerback and sure. put him out there. There's just more um, need. There's more need at safety is why I brought him up. Right, yeah. I just – there's part of me that doesn't want to, like, stunt a development at cornerback at one position and have him play – you know, have him do a Mario Cristobal and have him play a completely different position a la Brian Addison for the first three years of his career at Oregon. So there's something to it. I'm sure they'll figure it out. This is why they get paid way more than we do. But, you know, from a very novice concept, this is – these are my ideas. I, there needs to be something – Something has to happen. Maybe it's another safety addition through the portal, but there's a big question mark there. But in general, really like the Brandon Johnson addition. I think he's a good player. I think he'll be potentially a day one starter, just depending on how all of this shakes out. Can I add some thoughts on here? Because I, I thought the one thing that really stood out here was versatility. I know when Jared put together his kind of how the input, the impact is, you, you talked about the versatility. I, I was really impressed by the pressure stats from this guy. He's like, again, he's like five, yeah. 10, five, 11, 180. He had 16 tackles for loss the last two years. Mm -hmm. That's as many as Brandon Dorless had the last two years. 
Like, I mean, that's a ton for a guy. And and that gets you a little excited. And to the point of why I think he's solely a nickel is if you've got a guy who's been that productive getting up Correct. field and making plays behind the line of scrimmage, you keep that guy there. And it makes me think about what Dan has done, obviously, throughout his career. But at Oregon, just think of like the, the, the exotic blitz packages and what they could do with a Brandon Johnson, like what we saw with Evan Williams a couple of times last year or a Kyrie mm-hmm. Jackson coming off the edge. And obviously, a lot of these guys, other guys who blitzed, but I think that's kind of a low key, sneaky, exciting part about this is this is a guy who, again, having having not watched every single Duke football game the last two years, I don't know exactly how he finished with this high of a tackle for loss total. But that's really unusual for a player his size to have 16 tackles for loss in two seasons. So um, that's one of the things that kind of jumped off the page when I was looking at his statistical profile. Plus, if you look at his PFF, which. If you're on our message board, we've been, there's been a, a war waged on PFF this week, basically. Um, he is graded very well in coverage, um, significantly better than Taishim. So that also could be uh, something to look at. But I, I think, with, again, with Jared, I think it's a, it's a really nice add. And it'll be interesting just to see how all this comes together. I think he's a guy who, who probably will end up starting and probably at nickel. But there are so many other bodies who play the same position that it's kind of hard to really write in Sharpie where we think these guys fit. Next in line is probably Oregon's new starting nose tackle, and that's Jamari Caldwell from Houston. Um, a four-star transfer. He was unranked coming out of high school, six foot one, three hundred twenty-five pounds. Just a different body type that's made up of returning players. Obviously, Jericho Johnson and, and Aiden Breland show up, and Jericho more than Breland has you know, the instant body to play the nose tackle position. But like Jared said, you don't want to rely on a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. Um, I, I I think Car- Caldwell was, was down between Oregon and Texas. Everything looked like it was going to go Texas. And then all of a sudden he announced a, a commitment to Oregon. Um, really, really huge get for Oregon. And honestly, like you talk about the need for Dylan Gabriel, you talk about, you know, the need for Kobe Savage or maybe a, a, an Evan Stewart to replace Troy Franklin. This might be just as big, if not bigger than all of those, besides maybe Gabriel, just because what you had at nose tackle before Caldwell arrived. 100%. Um, that's why I was so adamant about it many moons ago, many podcasts ago, about adding interior defensive linemen because they need them. And, you know, they lost – I did the stat on Cal- Caldwell's breakdown. I think they lost five of their so- top seven uh, defensive linemen in total snap counts. Like, they just returned Jordan Birch, and um, I, I can't remember the other one at this point right now. But that, that's, this is Keon. a – Keon. Maybe, yeah, it's probably Keon. Um, but Keon's snaps just plummeted towards the end of the season. Like, he was getting 14 or t- 12 a night. And – you know, this is a legitimate problem. And you go through through the two deep and you are relying on a lot of redshirt freshmen to to potentially step in there. But Caldwell, I anticipate playing more defensive tackle rather than nose tackle. Houston did a good job last season lining up like four defensive linemen, but a true nose tackle then Caldwell kind of was Houston's version of Brandon Dorless. He played sometimes like at left or right end, but also played interior. They kind of moved him around. Um, he's got great feet. He's really quick and explosive off the line for a guy who's six foot one, or he's listed he, six foot he's, one. He's and then he came out on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, he came out on Twitter. He's like, I'm six four. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. 
but <laughs> still he moves incredibly well for a guy six we'll call it even six two and a half 325 pounds like he moves very well um he's explosive off the line he's also very powerful off the line uh i was impressed with watching his game tape and you know seeing some of his highlights uh he's gonna have to he there seemed to be like a consensus that his tackling was kind of poor which makes sense because you're a defensive lineman you're right there if a running back makes one cut then they're gone and you're gone too kind of like uh Brandon Dorla suffered from that a lot last season, but did much better this this previous year. Um, but you know, he's a guy who's an interior lineman who has six and a half sacks, eight eight tackles for loss. Like those are really good numbers in a Power Five conference in the Big Twelve this past year. So uh, I think it was a huge addition. This is, he's like the number seventeen or eighteen ranked player in the entire transfer portal. Number two defensive lineman, I think behind Walter Nolan. So. Oregon doesn't get the number one guy and Walter Nolan earlier in the transfer portal cycle, but they end up with the number two guy. And they can thank LSU for that because they hired Texas's defensive line coach like two days before Caldwell Caldwell announced. So send a little thanks to your LSU friends for doing that because that certainly helped make his decision a little easier to come to Oregon. Um, but I love love the addition. It was much needed. Much needed. And, you know, I think maybe we'll get to portal needs that are remaining towards the end of the show. I, you know, I, I think I was saying they needed to go three to five and Jared was saying a little bit more than that from the defensive line through the portal. Obviously this is just where they've started. I will be very curious to see post spring. I guess it could still take place now with the way the windows open for, for schools that have had um, coaching changes, but I'll be very curious to see how this kind of shakes out because currently you're going to be relying as Jared kind of alluded to potentially on, you know, Birch and where Hudson are veteran guys that return that have played at least a fair amount. And I mean, Birch is a much, much better player than where Hudson, who I think where Hudson's just like a solid rotation guy. And to Jared's point, he's probably a 10, 15, 20 snaps per game guy at the very most. And that's fine. That's going to be helpful. But, you know, this is, you could get to a spot depending upon how the rest of this shakes out where you really are relying on these last two recruiting classes, which I was looking through the numbers here. I don't know if there's a school in the country who can match Oregon's blue chip defensive line rate the last two cycles. They've had 11, two five stars and nine mm -hmm. four stars. I and mean, you, you just say that out loud and you're like, wow. But what are what can you get from those guys? And then specifically, which guys can actually help you? Um, it's hard to project because really we didn't see, aside from kind of some Amari Washington sightings towards the end of the season and some other stuff mixed up in garbage time, we really didn't see a lot of these guys um, I'm not including Mateo and, and Tatum and Purchase, who we saw right. a ton of, obviously, off the edge. But we didn't see a lot of these interior bodies play. So we really don't have a great feel for what Oregon has. And obviously, the true freshman class, even less of a feel. So it's I think I'm sure Jared felt this way, trying to project the too deep for the interior spots. You're really just kind of relying on gut feel and recruiting rankings at this point. And that's why I think adding another two, maybe three guys potentially makes sense here. But do they have... Do they have the space? I know is a question people will ask. Do they have the room to do that? And that's a question that the staff obviously is going to have to answer down the road here to, to figure it out. But I do think there's going to need to be a couple more ads. Um, love the Caldwell ad, but I think there's there's probably at least needed a couple more veteran defensive linemen to kind of fill this out, or else you are going to be relying on a lot of 19 and 20 year olds. I, I don't think there's a problem asking, you know, between the, I don't know the exact number. So I'm just going to say, let's say there's 10 guys that are, true freshman or redshirt freshman defensive lineman. I think if you say we need to find one, maybe two out of those 10 to play, that's not an issue. As long as, as long as they're the 
sixth, seventh, or eighth guy in in the rotation going into the season, um, and you feel confident about the group ahead of them. But once you get to asking for three or four freshmen having to play, that's where it becomes an issue. And at some point, these guys are going to have to play. Um, so, like, I, I do think I do think we'll see a freshman or two find his way into the rotation. I also think we'll see them probably add one or two more linemen to this mix. And I think if you're an Oregon fan, you probably be, should be prepared that one or two of these redshirt freshmen or sophomore defensive linemen probably won't be on the roster next season because they're going to look at the depth chart. They're going to look at the roster and go, I love it here, but I want to play. And I'm not seeing a path to playing at Oregon for three more seasons. The exact same scenario that happened with Dante Dado, where it was, I love it here. I have no issues here. I'm happy I came here, but I want to play. And I don't see a path to playing in the next two seasons. Yeah, and that that's entirely true too. The transfer portal is going to allow that to happen for all those guys. I just the the from a numbers perspective, um, they're just going to need a lot of guys because they rotate a lot of players. Yeah. And that's what I've been trying to hammer in here on the message boards and some of these articles is like Oregon on a day to day or game to game basis. It was like six to eight rotations deep with their defensive line. They like to take two off and put two on and three on and three off, stuff like that. And like right now in my two deep, there's, you know, three guys who are the redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores on the interior line. So the, all those guys are going to play and that's, you know, on the interior line. So that's six total people on a, on defensive end nose and D tackle. They still need two more guys that they're going to actually play and, they're going to play, you know, 10 to 20 snaps, but if there's an injury, it turns into another guy needing to play 10 or 20 snaps. And you guys are right. Like, eventually, these guys are going to have to play. Um, for trying to predict who is going to play, it's difficult because yeah. we don't see these guys. We, I have no idea if any of them have lived up to the billing yet of their four-star, of their potential five-star status. And, you know, eventually you find out by, you know, ones versus ones, two v twos, but uh, it's... And, the other part of it is they're going to the Big Ten. Going to be some good offensive lines there. And uh, we're just going to figure out who is going to be able to play. One, one thing, I, I did talk to somebody who was who's around the program who who is very high on Amari Washington and what they think he can mm -hmm. be. And I know, Jared, you had him, I think, even in as a starter on your, your I team. Have him as I, think, starter, yeah. I think that's the right idea right now. Um, we'll see with Jericho Johnson maybe arriving. We'll see with how the Caldwell feel, like where they want to put him exactly. But I know that there's a, a sense that Washington's going to be one of the kind of the breakout defensive players, at least right now, that's kind of a feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the Fiesta Bowl media day, I asked Tony Tuioti just about the nose tackle position. And he made it abundantly clear that he was confident that Washington and Jericho would have some role next season at that position. He didn't say starter, but he was like, they're, you know, I have full confidence that they're going to have, uh, something to say about that position um, down the road in 2024. All right. Uh, switch over to offense. And this is where the five-star edition of Evan Stewart will be discussed. Um, he is the lone five-star commit from a transfer perspective for Oregon in this class. I think he's one of three 
five stars total in the portal, or is it four now, depending upon what happened with Alabama guys? Um, but last time I looked, uh, it was three, and he was one of the three. This is a game changer for Oregon. Troy Franklin's departure opens the door for a need for a new receiver. Uh, and we now see Evan Stewart slide right into that spot. It doesn't require Jurion Dickey to be the guy right away. It doesn't require Kyler Casper to take a huge step next season. Um, you, you slide. Basically, you're trading Evan Stewart and, and Troy Franklin, essentially, in my eyes. Yeah, and it's obviously not an even trade, if you will, because of what Trevor sure. and the talent. But I mean, I I put it in my my story on the offensive two deep. We should know we we will probably break down those next week. Just kind of our, our breakdowns. We wanted to just chat about all this news because there's been so much stuff going on this week that we haven't gotten to with the with the wet. I mean, I think we were trying to broadcast every day from Monday till now when we had somebody had internet issues. I was dealing with a concussion. Matt had issues getting back home one of the nights because he was out during the storm. Um, so. Uh, it took us a while to get here, so we will get to kind of what, how we think everything breaks down on those those both sides of the football right now. But you know, I put in my my story here that you know there's been this drought of a couple of decades with Oregon having a first or second round wide receiver taken in an NFL draft. I think Troy Franklin will certainly end that drought um, in a couple months here, and I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that Evan Stewart extends that, and you've got back to back years with a player kind of in that range. That's the sort of talent we're looking at. And that's why he's ranked where he is. And, you know, again, these portal rankings, just like the prep rankings are meant to be NFL draft projections to a certain extent. You know, that's why like Aiden Giles and Dante Moore are way ahead of like a Dylan Gabriel on these rankings from 24 seven, even though Dylan Gabriel has obviously had, I don't know, several thousand more snaps and a lot more completions and success. So um, that you have to take that into account. So, I mean, obviously our staff at 24 seven, who does the rankings is very high on Evan Stewart. They were out of, they were on him out of high school. Um, you go watch what he can do. And it's a, it's a different player than Troy Franklin. Like I think very mm -hmm. clearly he's a little smaller. Um, he's an incredibly, I think, gifted route runner and he gets in and out of his breaks in ways that I think will allow him to be just as reliable as Troy in terms of, of finding open space and, and being a, a high volume target. Um, really explosive he can do a lot of things after the catch too um i just think this is a guy who's who's going to be really really fun to watch and i will be kind of back to the conversation we had on the defense very curious to see if this is as simple as hey junior adams basically plays four guys that's been his mo at oregon two seasons like 90 percent. we've talked about it i've written about it many times 90 percent of the snaps the last two seasons have been to four guys basically that's what Jim adams does and if you just substitute franklin and you return the other three guys obviously with tez back with gary back and Treshawn back is it as simple as those are your four guys and everybody takes a back seat or are there going to be players who push themselves into that rotation and maybe they expand it and actually play five or six guys i think those are the sort of questions we might be having when we get through spring and into summer is does a Dickey or a Casper or a McClellan or any of these true freshmen or younger players, you know, challenge and expand it to a five or a six player rotation rather than four. But if it is a four player rotation, I think you have to be pretty ecstatic about it, what it would look like. I mean, these are, I think all four of those players have proven in their college careers that they can be home run hitters. We've seen the three players returning obviously do that. I mean, I, Tez is self-explanatory. Gary Bryant still probably yep. has one of my favorite long touchdown catches in a couple of years down at Arizona state where he broke a bunch of tackles and, and scored. Uh, Treshawn, <laughs> you'll think about the Pac-12 championship touchdown that kind of extended the window for a moment that Oregon had a chance to win. 
Um, like Oregon has some really explosive playmakers at receiver. I think you have to be really excited and, and Stuart fits right into that mix there. And I, I still think um, I would lean towards Tez probably being the, the, the focal point and, and, and having the best season statistically, but I wouldn't be like totally surprised because of the position Stuart plays, which is that X receiver, which as a lot know in, in these sort of offenses are the primary target a lot of the times, at least the way that the, 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 the routes are broken down. I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody who finishes with close to a thousand yards and, and, you know, 60, 70 catches this year. I, that's the type of, of player they're acquiring. And really just a, one last thought here before I let the others chime in. I, I think this addition along with like Caldwell and obviously the quarterbacks and, and really just all of this speaks to a, how healthy Oregon's transfer portal success has been in terms of being mm -hmm. a destination people want to go to, but also, their NIL collective being top notch. You know, I think we're looking around the country now seeing certain programs that have had just as much success yeah. struggle to retain players. Look what's going on at Alabama. I know there's coaching changes, but also the fact that Oregon has been able to pull, I mean, Caldwell was like to Matt's point. Like we thought that was, we didn't really think Oregon was going to land this guy and Texas, who's one of the other big time programs right now. Another one of those teams kind of contending for a championship thought that he was headed their way. And I don't want to say that's entirely a portal or a, an NIL commitment, but I I'm sure that played a role and obviously Oregon is extremely competitive there. So I just, just a kind of an underlying thing I've been thinking about with, with this, this portal class and really Oregon recruiting this, this year in particular is, it's pretty clear Oregon's kind of figured out. Division Street has sort of figured itself out here, and Oregon is very, very competitive um, on the portal market right now. It certainly is. And um, to go back to Matt's earlier point, there are five five-star players in the transfer portal. Evan Stewart is the fifth. So okay. there's been two more after um, Caleb Downs and Caden Proctor have entered the portal. So originally three. But uh, to go back to Stewart and just him as a player yeah he's the most like x receiver i've seen in a minute um i was talking about this with with uh jared denny of on three and how much of an x receiver he is even though he's to me he's built like a z like he's six feet tall he's 185 pounds like troy franklin even though he was skinnier on the, on the skinny side compared to other people like he was still six foot three like 210 215 pounds probably at his peak and evan stewart's not that but what he is is an elite route runner like Eric was talking about, gets in in and out of breaks like no other wide receiver that honestly was in the portal except for Isaiah Bond eventually. But um, And he's also incredibly athletic. That's the thing that's the real separator, the real killer. He can go high point a ball like no other. And he had to do that a good bit at Texas A&M where he was their X receiver with, I think it was Max Johnson who was throwing to him most of the time. But yeah, like, and I'll I'll get to that in a second too. But there were multiple jump ball opportunities that he just went and got. And not saying that Troy Franklin couldn't do that, but I wouldn't say that was his strongest suit in his game. But Evan Stewart can jump out of the gym, a, and then does a remarkable job being able to contort his body in certain ways to move himself in front of defensive backs. And I think that was the biggest thing that stood out when watching his tape. Is just he could get in front of a defensive back. It didn't matter where he was originally when jumping, but through the air, I don't know how he does it. Like these guys are freaks out there, but he gets in front of the defensive back and is able to move his body and shield the ball away and then catch it. Um, good hands, good speed, 
And to get to the point I was getting at earlier, look, we're putting this guy in the Will Stein offense. Like, I think that can't be uh, overstated enough. Like, Will Stein, is his whole offense is just get the ball to the playmakers and get them in space. And Evan Stewart is agile. He's fast. He can make people miss. And he didn't have those opportunities at Texas A&M. That just wasn't um, – it just wasn't a really good offense because it didn't really have a great quarterback behind it all. Like the schemes were there, but the quarterback play really limited him in the last couple seasons that, during Jimbo Fisher's tenure. Like, I, like Dylan Gabriel, he's not going to be what Bo Nix was this year. And that's 100% okay because what Absolutely. Bo Nix was this year was incredibly historical in terms of – frankly, college football, the completion record, and then an Oregon program history with the touchdown record and the yards record. I'd, it, it, would be, uh, it would be mean of me to anticipate Dylan Gabriel putting up those numbers. But what I am anticipating is that he's a better quarterback than Max Johnson at Texas A&M, which <laughs> he will be, and Will Stein's offense will allow him to be, and that's the major key there. So, you know, I prorated Evan Stewart's last year at A&M to 57 catches for 771 yards and six touchdowns if he played every game, which he didn't. Right. And that's another thing about Evan Stewart is that he's a little little injury prone. And I'm not sure exactly what his injuries are. Um, I did research and Texas A&M guys. Um, it just wasn't – it wasn't very clear. It was a very college football thing where they're not going to tell you what the actual injury was. But um, if he stays healthy – he could put up, like Eric was saying originally, like he could put up near a, a thousand yards. He could be on that target because of this offense, because of the quarterback play, and because of his God-given gifts. So, I think it's a huge upgrade. I, I, I was vouching for this from the very beginning. Like you can't just say, "All right, we lost Troy. Let's hope that Jurion Dickey is going to be able to do fifty percent of what he of what Troy did." Um, we'll see about the four wide receiver things because now there's really going to be some talent knocking on the doors. Not that there hasn't been the last two seasons. But this year is going to be different. Like Third year Kyler, second year Jury on, first year for McClellan and Pelham. There's going to be some actual like real talent. No, no disrespect. No Chris Hudson's. No Josh Delgado's. No Justice Lowe's. Even though Justice Lowe's still on the team, like there's going to be some real talent behind the starters. So I think the four wide receiver, ninety percent of the snaps might. This might be the last year of it, and for good reason. I, I had one more thing, Matt, on this, and then we yeah. can move. move. I, I just it's quick. Uh, did you guys see Gabe Brooks's player com comparison for Stewart come out of high school? Mm, no. I did, but I don't remember. Devonta Smith, which is pretty yeah. good. Pretty good guy. Be pretty good player. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I was going to mention the thing Jared said that I if there's ever going to be a year that we see more than four receivers play, this will be it because they have the talent now they have the depth now to play more and quite frankly like seeing how they've gone at other positions like it wouldn't be a shock to me i guess anymore i don't think it's going to happen but i wouldn't be surprised if they add another portal guy to this to this receiver room um i mean they've made it very clear that despite being i think at 90 two or 91 scholarships i did it last night and i just haven't published it yet um they are not afraid of adding more and more and more talent especially at positions where they feel like you're pretty good there so maybe maybe someone else pops up and 
they decide, hey, we're we're going to go after him. We're going to add another player to this mix um, and make the competition better, make the depth better. Um, one other quick item I wanted to just point out with this transfer class is I, I think Eric brought a good point that we probably should maybe discuss a little bit more about of Division Street and its ability to add talent. You look at the 10 players that they've added – um, nine of them were starters at their previous school. The only one that wasn't was Dante Moore, and he started games uh, off and on with the Bruins. Um, I think all of them but two, so eight, are from Power 5 schools. I think that's a significant deal as well. Um, and half of them, five, and honestly – Johnson isn't rated yet, so I won't even count him in, in this thing. So more than half, five of, of the nine, are four-star transfer portal ads. So you know, it's they haven't – ten is a lot in my opinion, but they're not like what Colorado did last season. They're not like what ASU did last couple of seasons where they're adding 16, 17, 18, 19 guys, and a lot of these players are just jags. Like they're – they're dudes, but few, you know, so many of those, of those schools added just, Hey, we just need practice depth, let alone portal, you know, talent. Um, Oregon's adding legitimate dudes. And then the flip side to division street is, you know, they're helping Oregon bring players here, but maybe the least talked about aspect of it has been Oregon's roster retention. I mean, go look at the players that have left and, Really, only two guys to me, you're like, yeah, that one hurts, but neither of them were like impacts in 2024. They were more long-term plays, and that was Cole Martin and, and Dante Dowdell. Like, Cole obviously played every game as a true freshman this past season, but I don't know if you could legitimately say he was going to be a starter in 2024, and who knows if he did start, how good he was going to be, if he was going to be ready for that. And then Dowdell was simply just a down-the-road depth piece that you were really excited about. Casey Kelly, like the fourth tight end in Oregon's tight end room. Jake Shipley was you know, way down the list of edge guys. Um, Damon David hardly saw the field. Ty Thompson was the backup quarterback. You know, And you're not trying to disparage any of these guys, but like we didn't see any – starters leave we didn't see like the sixth man if you will from a basketball term leave at a position group and i think that that's pretty big and it says a lot about oregon's retention ability no i i, I agree that is an underrated part we probably don't talk about because all we do what we primarily talk about are these additions as we should because these are players we have to you know introduce the hopefully introduce the fan base to or help do that um but this roster is keeping basically all the guys that matter, you know, um, you know, and even, and even, you know, we talk about retention to the portal, but also bringing back some guys who probably had chances to pretty decent chances to be drafted. You know, the guys are bringing back, no one should be expected. Like those aren't first or second day draft picks, right? Like no one's going to choose to stay in school if they have a second round draft grade, but there are guys like a Terrence Ferguson. I don't have any questions. He would have been a, I don't know, fourth through seventh round pick or something like that. You know, uh, Jordan Birch would have would have been selected, I think. So a uh, Johnny Cornelius probably would have had an opportunity to end up on an NFL roster. And these guys have been part because of NIL and because probably because of what Oregon's building and their legitimate 
I think national championship contenders, and that's not us just blowing smoke. You look at the way too early top 25 list and Oregon is top five, top eight, and basically all of them. I think the highest I've seen was, was top three. So there's a sense Oregon's one of the teams that can win it all. I'm sure that helps, but to the broader point we're getting at here, like Oregon's NIL, I think is, is really, really healthy. And it's such an interesting era that we're entering here where you, Alabama's message board is like breaking down right now because apparently their NIL collectives aren't very healthy. And this is Alabama we're talking about. This is the most successful college football program of the last two decades. And their fan bases are going, I know there's a coaching change, but why are we losing all of these four and five star players? And, you know, what they're saying is that it's because our NIL isn't as, you know, it isn't up to par with what everybody else is not comparable. Oregon doesn't have that problem. And that's a very unique place to be. And I also speak, think speaks to why Dan is so adamant about staying here, because I don't know how many situations are better right now for, for just the totality of it, which is what Dan has talked about. But the NIL part, I think in particular, I think there was some concern right when this became such a big thing several years ago and there was clamoring on the message boards about how competitive Oregon would be. It's pretty clear Oregon's doing a really, really good job. And I've listened to a couple of, I listened to a lot of podcasts while I had a concussion, by the way, way too many. And a lot of the ones I listened to are national college football podcasts. And let's just say the sense that like Bruce Feldman and Joel Klatt and Josh Pate and, you know, the guys I listened to primarily the cover three podcast, those folks are all being kind of like Oregon's kind of a big boy right now with NIL. So I don't think you take that part for granted. And, and that has been a key with bringing players in, but also with keeping them on this roster. Yeah. And I think the best thing about division street um, has to be that they're, they, well, I, I mean, I don't really know, but they seem structured. They seem like they have a real, um agenda and ideas and they have real ways of going about because you you read all of these stories you have like players former players posting on social media about i don't know like the most recent one like walter nolan was like hey everybody make sure to read your nil contracts with texas a&m like if you need any help let me know and you don't have that from people who either you know transfer out of Oregon or leave Oregon or anything like that. Because I think, you know, Division Street is made up of a lot of people who are, you know, currently high ups at Nike or former high ups at Nike or people who worked in, in business and have a real like acumen towards this stuff and offering contracts and getting like real benefits towards players. And it shows. And I think that they're I, what I was most impressed by is just their retention on the on the team because, like Eric said, like there are some real NFL draft picks. Ferguson, Birch, Cornelius probably would have got a shot. I mean, like even a guy like Marcus Harper, if he tested well at the combine, could have got a shot. Um, Trayshawn, Gary Bryant, like the only guys they missed on were legitimate draft picks like Kyrie Jackson, like Troy and Jackson Powers Johnson. Like those guys obviously were never coming back, but they were able to keep them in town and give them a real shot to go win the big 10 or even the national championship next year. Obviously there's so much that goes into it from then and now, but they've done a great job and it certainly puts Oregon in a level of recruiting that they've never been in. Um, and for people who are complaining that it's pay for play it always has been like don't act like it's never not been pay for play for most kids 
now it's just a fair opportunity for basically every player on the team to have some sort of financial compensation. Because when a school like Texas, that's the only one that I've seen, I'm not harping on them or anything like that. When a school like Texas's football program brings in $271 million to the, to the, to the school, excuse me, I feel like they should get some of that. And now they're able to do it. So it's not just for the big boys anymore. Everybody deserves a, a, a slice of the pie. It doesn't necessarily have to be a fair slice of the pie, but at least one. And um, that's just the playing field. That's just is what it is now in college football. It, you can like it or love it, but you got to deal with it. That's just how it is. And to that crowd that has been vocal about Oregon pay for play, play, you know, pay for play. I know from a staff member who was a family friend of mine years ago who was on Chip Kelly's staff that he would talk to my dad and I when we would see him at church. That's where our connection was about how like recruiting was so difficult because anytime anybody from the Southeast jumped in, they just would outbid you for the player and it was over. Well, <laughs> the shoe might be on the other foot a little bit right now. I mean, I, I'm yeah. not saying that's exactly what's taking place, but it, there is a level of irony of people from that part of the country in particular, because that was such an, an, you know, that was that was a large part of the way rosters have been built in big time college football programs for a very long time. And Oregon wasn't operating at the same level of those programs until it's basically become legalized in the last four or five years. I'm not, I'm not naive. I'm not saying Oregon wasn't involved in doing some of this stuff before, but the landscape has shifted so much from 15, 10, 15 years ago in terms of the way this is all balanced. And I think it's a really unique situation. And I think it's a situation that is going to take some time for like, if Alabama actually does fall behind because of NIL, that fan base is going to be really perplexed about what's going on because you look through Nick Saban's career there, they never, they finished outside of the top 10, I think, in the final AP pool once, and that was his first season. Like, if this becomes a thing where they're having a hard time keeping up, and I'm not sure that's the case. I think Kalen DeBoer is a good coach, and they'll, they'll find their footing. But it's mm -hmm. just a very strange, topsy-turvy kind of outcome we've had here with NIL. And obviously, Oregon's one of the schools, I think, that is, is best built to benefit from it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, um, let's transition to some coaching change news because um, there's been quite a few departures from Morgan's staff. Now, the only big one is Demetrius, and I shouldn't say big one as if the other ones aren't important because they all are, but the only one that's probably like public perception that you, that the average fan may know about is Demetrius Martin, Oregon's cornerback coach. He has left to go to Michigan State for the same role. Um, but he, we'll talk more about that one in depth. But the other ones, I mean, Oregon's going to have a lot of graduate assistant positions to fill because Carter Leftwich was a graduate assistant along the offensive side of the ball, is now um, at North Texas. Colin Lockett is a receiver's graduate assistant coach. He is gone. He is at UC Davis with a full-time job. Uh, and then graduate assistant Tony Washington, who worked with Edge, defensive line guys, he has been hired at UCLA. All three of those um, are ones that, you know, 
if you're an Oregon per- person, you have to be ecstatic about because it's they're they're going through the natural progression of coaching. They they were working as graduate assistants, learning the, the trade, and they basically got a full time job. Basically, it's an intern moving up to their first full time position um, from a non athletic standpoint. Uh, Rashad Wadud is the only graduate assistant coach left, um, but it sounds like um, he's staying elevated role. Uh, Matt Zenitz of 24 seven sports reported that same time as Demetrius Martin's departure. Um, What his role is going to be. We don't exactly know yet. High rising young star in the coaching ranks. Um, He could be put on as an analyst. He could be put on as the replacement to Demetrius Martin um, at that cornerback position. Chris Hampton, could be coaching all of Oregon's secondary next season. Um, We also know uh, Brian Michalowski, a defensive analyst who coaches linebackers for Oregon, could be elevated to that role, um, opened up with an on-field role with Demetrius Martin's departure. Um, Oregon has options, basically. And I I would be pretty surprised if – Oregon doesn't – if they don't look in-house first to elevate either Michalowski or Wadud uh, to an on-field position role. And maybe maybe Dan self-evaluates and comes back and thinks the talent pool that's interested in the job, which will be really large of numbers of, of coaches, is just better than those two. Maybe that happens. But I think your first look is one of those two guys becomes elevated to an on-field role. Right. That's my read, too, is they're trying to kind of kick the tires and figuring out how they want to structure it and which one they want to elevate to a full time on field assistant coaching role. Um, my understanding and talking to people was that Michalowski was like basically the linebackers coach this last year. Yeah. And Tony Washington was basically coaching the edge like in, in practice. That was primarily what was happening. Obviously, what dude wasn't leading the corner room because Coach Meat was here, but um, he had a pretty involved role, too. So. That's part of the thing that's what's cool about how Dan runs his his program is he gives these young guys a lot of opportunity to to run basically run position groups even though some of them aren't quote unquote on field assistants um, you know so these guys are experienced and I would be I, I'm kind of anticipating that this won't be an outside hire to fill whatever whatever role it is and and maybe they we'll see what they do here we'll see who kind of gets that bump but I would imagine and it sounds based upon Zenit's reporting that there will be pay increases and and responsibility increases for both of them. And I'm guessing Mm -hmm. they're just trying to figure out what makes the most sense of whose title changes the most, who becomes that official assistant coach. Um, But these are guys that to Zenit's points and, and, and I've heard it internally too, that they're really high on both of these guys. And these are priority people to keep, not that those that left weren't priorities, but I think they look at Wadud and Michalowski as, as people who, we're going to be long time, big time assistants and retaining. And we talked about player retention, retaining this type of coaching talent goes a long way in the health of the program, too. So, um, what dude I know for a fact is like an absolute stud recruiter and his connections down to mm-hmm. Los Angeles, yeah. I think, a really significant role in some of their success down there recruiting. Um, not that Michaelowski didn't play a role. I just know more about what dudes. Um, and so I, I could maybe see a world where you go, let's elevate the guy who's the better recruiter because that's a, you know, you can, you can do more from an assistant coaching on field role as a recruiter 
than you can um, as an analyst. But I don't know. I'm very curious to see how this shakes out. Um, I think it's 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 going to be interesting to see not only what they do with those two, but also how they fill out these grad assistant jobs. I know this is a part of the of this that probably very few people listening to this podcast care that much about. But I think Oregon is going to be a destination job for people as grad assistants. I think it's going to be a very competitive field to fill several of these spots that, as Matt said, have kind of opened up here. I think they're going to go get some very top tier talent um, to bring in and hopefully groom to be the next guys like a Wadud or Michalowski who can step in and eventually maybe replace someone on staff. Or, as we saw with some of these guys who departed, take off and, and take. I mean, it's really impressive. Like Tony Washington goes in his first head, you know, full time assistant coaching job. Is that a power five school in the Big Ten? Like to start there, like good on him. And I think that speaks to the development you see from people who who work under Dan and his staff and, and kind of the respect other coaches have for what's happening here. Yeah, I don't I don't have too much else to offer. Um, just that would do it is is in all the recruitment for those four-star cornerbacks that Oregon brought in in the 2024 class. And that he's, um, you know, I think we had Greg Biggins on the show and talked about, and he talked about how good of a recruiter he is. And I think that's going to help a lot. And obviously there's more to being a cornerback coach or whatever he ends up being than just a recruiter. Um, but it certainly helps. We, you know, Oregon loves getting talent. And uh, I think that'll continue with Vadud as the, as as whatever his role eventually ends up being um and for Mikulowski it was basically you know he was the inside linebacker coach this year like as simple as that like that's what Jamal Hill said that's what Bossa said um he was the inside linebacker coach and whether that is his next official title and whoever was the outside linebacker coach um which I think is a combination of Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning um whatever that ends up being we'll see but uh, I think Mikulowski is a good coach. I think there is a significant upgrade in terms of the interior linebacker play this year. And whether that's just, you know, player personnel or actual coaching, you know, I couldn't tell you, honestly. I'm not, I'm, I do not know the game of football that well to really know the differences. But what I can tell you is that Mikulowski, good little fun fact here, something that I really love, uh, former defensive coordinator in the German Football League in 2014, uh, eventually led the team to a, a league championship, their first in program history, uh, the, the Falcons. So represent, love that. I think that's just a fun little stat. Uh, clear up-and-comer, though, with some good pedigree behind him, I guess, in the German Football League. But um, I think that these are both good hires. And it, you know, it's sad to see Demetrius Martin go, but I mean, this is something, at least I heard, like, like two weeks ago. So this was something that was in motion even before that. And... I I think Oregon's going to be fine. I think that it's a it's a it's a loss for right now. Um, but even if they weren't promoting Wadud or Michaelowski for whatever position that it may be, it would be a very competitive field, especially with the way Oregon's going going into the Big Ten. Um, Dan's coaching hires have been very good to start his career, and really, there's no reason to not trust whoever it is that's going to take that position. Uh, we'll just see who eventually it is. And we should note with Martin really fast, Matt, last thing I have, um, Michigan State is his alma mater. Alma mater, yeah. This is a guy who historically we kind of have heard the same thing about Jed Fish in terms of being a coaching nomad. Nomad. You look mm -hmm. at Coach Meets, kind of his, his CV, his resume, he basically spends one to three years at every stop and then goes and finds another place. So 
he'd been on the West Coast for the better part of two decades, and now he's going back to where he went to college. I think it makes sense. Um, and and I think he might have worked with Jonathan Smith for a year at Washington. So I think he might know Jonathan a little bit too. So I, I might have to go back and cross-reference that. Might I know that they were around the same era um, with the Huskies. So yeah, and that, I was going to bring that up. It doesn't, add, you know, it doesn't devalue the loss. Like it, it, he did really good things when he was at Oregon. He he brought over Christian Gonzalez and then turned him into a first-round draft pick. His finding of Kyrie Jackson and developing him into what will become at some point some NFL draft pick. We don't know what round it is um, this coming spring. Uh, I, I think you can look at Jewel Florence and the development he had from year one to year two from, you know, when he signed Florence and then, or kept Florence and then was able to develop him. Um, you know, Meets impact will be felt like, and that, that will be one that will be felt for sure. But, at the same time, like history shows he was only going to be here for a short period of time. Cause as Eric said, he, his track record is, you know, he, he bounces around and there's people that do that quite often and are successful at this, this profession, as well as many other professions out there. They just always have a new job every three or four years or two or three years. And they're highly successful wherever they go. And that feels like that's a perfect example of Demetrius Martin. Um, I don't anticipate Oregon's going to lose any NIL guy or uh, any of their recruits are going to ask out of their national letters of intent. Um, I don't think that impacts anything there. So if you're wondering that probably won't happen, um, maybe there's a transfer or two at the cornerback spot, but that could also be kicked back to what we talked about at the very beginning of they've added new guys to this position group. And maybe some people will just look at it and say in the spring during spring ball, I'm not playing here and I want playing time. All right, uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. We'll be back next week breaking down some two deeps, some more news that could trickle out, maybe some basketball. Who knows? We've got a lot to talk about here to catch up on the Austin Audible's podcast. But until then, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.